This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Built by Bay online podcast presents Daybreak for this Wednesday, April the 15th. 2020, Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, alongside team reporter Charlie Potter. We're going to get into making the case for the toughest opponent on Alabama's 2020 regular season football schedule coming up in just a little bit. But we've got some housekeeping items of note on this Wednesday to uh, sort of delve into first and primary among them. It is the start of the late signing period. And, Charlie, as we bring you in here, a couple, three weeks ago, you wondered exactly how busy this day would be for Nate Oates and his staff. Uh, But it looks like it's going to be an active Wednesday, uh, perhaps even into Thursday, I guess. And so give us an idea, a little bit of a lay of the land of what we can expect for these late signees for Alabama men's basketball. Yeah, I mean, coming off that recruiting frenzy that Alabama's been on um they'll it'll be a busy wednesday for sure um it, it sounds like it's going to be business as usual at least from just an announcement standpoint uh when letters of intent come in and we've seen in uh, past years uh, football does it uh, i believe baseball does it as well whenever those letters of intent come in they'll put out a tweet and so they have uh four commitments and you should be getting news from those guys i'm i'm not really sure about jordan bruner the grad transfer from yale that's always a little different uh, but you know the rest of them, I think they should be announcing when those come out. They'll have a, a full release at the at the end of the day or whenever the last one comes in. And then on Thursday, we should hear from Nate Oates via teleconference, and he'll give his um, you know review of all the players. I think he'll take some questions, and maybe we'll kind of see where they stand from a roster standpoint, where he thinks um, you know the next step will be. So that'll be interesting. But yeah, I mean, um, as remote as it is, it, it'll be pretty much business as usual from a uh, signing day perspective, uh, no in-person press conference, but uh, Oates will be available Thursday unless something changes. Yeah, I think I think with the grad transfers, it's almost a situation where those guys just enroll, right? Yeah. Um, there isn't the the typical signing that you'll see with with high school players or junior college players, so uh, perhaps a little bit different with Jordan Bruner, but should be an interesting Wednesday. Nonetheless, and as we've covered here on the podcast, and we've talked about a good bit there at BamaOnline.com, Hank South, Tim Watts, uh, you've done a really nice job here of late kind of resetting the roster uh, and how things might play out. I guess the next mile marker, and who knows exactly how this is going to play out uh, because of the NBA season being suspended right now and how that could impact the draft is exactly who comes back that is in that draft process. I think we think we have a pretty good idea about that, right? Yeah, we do. But I mean, the way that this has happened before for Alabama, it just has always been strange, whether it was Braxton key uh, testing those draft waters and then transferring to Virginia, Tevin Mack did it transferred to to Clemson. You never know. These are, these are always kind of just strange situations. And um, Alabama has three guys 
that have entered the their names into the draft being Kyra Lewis, John Petty, and, and Herbert Jones. And I think everyone believes that Kyra Lewis will keep his name in there because he's kind of been mentioned as a potential first-round draft pick. And uh, I know he wants to kind of get feedback and, and have conversations with teams and see, you know, is he going to be a guy that's, you know, on the roster full-time or maybe go back to the G League uh, or, you know, back and forth or, or whatever. Uh, but I think he's a guy that will ultimately leave his name in there. I think John Petty um, is maybe more on the fence, but maybe leaning more towards staying in. And you know, that's a situation where that, that matches up with what Nate Oates said when he announced that those guys were in the draft is they're going to actively recruit their replacements because otherwise you're going to be screwed um, yeah. you know, without a couple of roster spots filled. So uh, I think those are the guys that uh, will keep their names in most likely. And, you know, um, Coach Oates basically said that he's assuming uh, Herbert Jones returns to school. I mean, you can't blame the kid, neither he nor uh, John Petty, for testing those waters in their final year to do so before they exhaust their eligibility. But he's the guy that needs to continue to improve his offensive game. Last year he was hindered by that injury, and he can only benefit from coming back. So they kind of expect that. And that leaves them win over uh, the scholarship limit at 14. So they're going to have to have some attrition. And those are conversations that either um, have happened or will happen soon. And uh, that, that'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, that, that deadline is mid-June. And right now, with, with nothing going on, the season likely being pushed back or, or altered in some way. Who knows when that'll be? So uh, when those decisions happen, whether they're going to stay in, hire an agent, or come back to school, uh, your guess is as good as mine. But that's something that's, the I guess, the next mile marker for the Alabama men's basketball team. Yeah, the NBA, like a lot of other sports leagues right now, is TBA or TBD, to be announced, to be determined uh, when we're exactly going to see a return to play in any form or fashion. Speaking of upcoming drafts, we know we're going to have an NFL draft starting one week from tomorrow, one week from tomorrow night to be exact, and Charlie, man. It seems like that tide has somewhat turned with Tua Tagovailoa. It looked like Tua was trending in a very positive direction there for a while, even on the heels of the video last week of his virtual pro day up in Nashville. We continue to hear in recent days anyway that there is the potential at least and we talked about this whether this could be smokescreen, whether how much of this is actually factual. Uh, we're not going to know for sure until a week from tomorrow night, but it just continues to sound like anyway that there's more folks buying in to that potential of to a sliding, perhaps as far as outside the top 10, Charlie. Yeah, that's the talk. And yet I like that you use the word smoke screen because a lot of the times this stuff comes up right before the draft um, starts because teams are trying to to jockey for position to, um, you know, maybe convince teams to, to draft a different player or, or to maybe trade their picks. There, there's a lot of uh, talks going on right now, to say the least. And uh, you, you look at the mock drafts and pretty consistently, at least of late, uh, a lot of them have had Justin Herbert, the quarterback from Oregon, going five to the Dolphins and two of six to the Chargers. Now, just my personal opinion, I think that's a much better situation for Tua because he's going into a, a much more stable franchise, one that has – a lot of young pieces around him and a, and a guy he can sit behind. I know Philip Rivers is no longer in town, but they have a veteran um, a quarterback there in, in Los Angeles, and he can maybe, not necessarily redshirt, but you know take some time to continue to rehab that hip. And if he does follow the top 10, though, um, I'll be shocked, but stranger things have happened. Um, 
you know, you, you go back, look how far Aaron Rodgers fell whenever he was in the draft, and he didn't even have the medical situation uh, hanging over his head. I know that's the big, biggest question mark with two is the medical, uh, the hip, and, um, you know, whether it's his agents, whether it's Trent Dilfer, uh, doctors, uh, Nick Saban even, he's been doing those uh, appearances on ESPN, having done the um, the series there on ESPN+, Plus, and, you know, he's kind of been – um, campaigning for two, and they, he's been dealing with a lot of questions uh, regarding his former cornerback. And it's it's just a situation where everyone in his camp continues to say the right things about Tua, but that talk of, of his maybe you know flunked physicals and talk of him slipping, it continues to happen. And I don't think it'll slow down probably anytime soon before the draft happens in a week. Yeah, I hope he goes to one of the Florida teams as much as anything from a tax perspective, man. No state income tax. If he goes to the Dolphins or our Jags there at number nine, I'd be fine with that. Be totally fine with uh, Tua and Teal there in Duval. That would be uh, that would be just fine. Uh, California gets a little expensive, cost of living, taxes, but hey, 21, 22 years old, you're not worried too much about that type of stuff. Uh, Charlie, as we previewed at the top of the podcast, our making the case segment on this edition of Daybreak, instead of looking at an individual player like we've done on some of the previous pods and sort of projecting uh, personnel for you know competitions and uh, things like that, position battles as we like to call them, I thought we'd switch it up a little bit today and Make the case for the toughest regular season opponent on Alabama's 2020 schedule. And I know I say that, and you look at the schedule, and you look at where some of the games are going to be played, and some of the games are in Tuscaloosa, some of the games in ro- on the road. Hopefully one of the games will be at Jerry World in Arlington, Texas. Uh, is it just that easy, though, Charlie, to go ahead and pick that one particular game uh, there in early November in Louisiana? Is it that easy? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, you might be surprised. I think I'm going to go with a different one. Um, Uh-oh. I, I think like the, it. Yeah, I think the top three are pretty pretty clear. I mean, it's it's Auburn, LSU, and Georgia. Um, you know, Alabama has a, a, a schedule this year that, you know, they play six pretty good teams. Uh, add Texas A&M, USC, and, and Tennessee the mix. But I think the top three are clear. The, the good news for Alabama, at least if you look at trends, um, the Auburn games in Tuscaloosa, that's good news for Alabama. The LSU game is in Baton Rouge. That's good news for Alabama because Alabama plays really well. <laughs> and you don't have Joe Burrow and that cast of um, talented players coming back. So I would give Georgia the nod. And okay. a lot of it has to do with um, I just think that game and that atmosphere is going to be insane. The Alabama-LSU game is crazy every year. But to have a big home game in Tuscaloosa is always exciting. It's exciting to cover. Uh, the press box um, will be packed, and, and it's going to be a different press box, so God knows how we're going to squeeze into that thing. But uh, I just think from a perspective of what Georgia has returning on defense uh, makes yeah. it tough. Uh, and I think if they can play their cards right and if the offense 
improves because it was it was kind of stagnant last year and now they have a, a dual threat quarterback and Jamie Newman coming over from Wake Forest that gives them kind of that dual threat option that they had in Justin Fields and let him slip away. Um, he, he's not Justin Fields, I'm not saying that, but it's, it's something where you have more of a dynamic player back there uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, I think it gives them a chance. I just think with everything that's been going on with Alabama and Georgia, with I know Alabama fans, anytime that um, Alabama does something, they see Georgia basically copy it. I think there's going to be a lot of buildup to that game. And just for me, I think that one with Scott Cochran coming back to Tuscaloosa, there's so much surrounding it. Um, the Alabama LSU game has that uh, aura every year. And I'll just give maybe a, a nod to the, the Georgia game because it, it doesn't happen um, every other year uh, or every year. So it's, it's just, to me, that's the way I lean. It's, it's close. I would almost give the LSU game a 1A just because of the the fighting words after the game and before. Um, but I just think that, that with Georgia bringing back a, a defense that led the SEC in scoring, uh, rushing, total defense, they bring back eight starters from that defense last year. That, that one, uh, to me, gets the nod. Yeah, every level of that Georgia defense, there are dogs, literally, I guess you could say, and figuratively. Um, but – yeah, I, th- there's a strong case to be made for Georgia, even with that game in Tuscaloosa, Monty Rice. You know, that's going to be a motivated individual. He's from uh, the Huntsville area originally, Georgia's starting middle linebacker. You've got an outstanding safety and Richard LeCount that comes back uh, to bolster that secondary to go along with Eric Stokes and some really quality depth and numbers in that front seven in general. So a strong case could be made, and I do believe – that the injection of Newman into that offense, that's going to be fascinating to see if Kirby will go all in, though, with a lot of zone read and a lot of the RPO stuff because he's been a little bit hesitant to do that, even with Fields a couple of years ago in that one season that he spent there in Athens. So it's going to be a different look for Georgia offensively for sure. I mean, you like the playmaker that they've got on the outside coming back and George Pickens. You look at the running back position, you wonder about that with DeAndre Swift moving on, Charlie, but I know they really like Zamir White. He's had a couple of knee injuries. Uh, a guy like James Cook also in there that can provide depth. Uh, it's going to be a really talented Georgia team that comes in here, I know. And you said it about LSU. It's not just that LSU has struggled to beat Alabama down in Baton Rouge. LSU has struggled to score points. I mean, we're talking about an LSU team that hasn't scored a point against Alabama at Death Valley since 2014. Two straight home shutouts at the hands of Alabama in 16 and 18. All that being said, Charlie, I'm going to go with LSU as the toughest opponent. So I like it. I like we got a little bit of a, a differing opinion there. What do you see in LSU You know, maybe offensively? You talked about it. Going to lose a couple of those playmakers. We're going to hear those names called. Um, in the NFL draft coming up here, no doubt, with Burrow, Clyde Edwards, Alar, uh, Justin Jefferson, but also still a couple of those wide receivers. Jamar Chase was a real problem here in Tuscaloosa back in November. Uh, they had a couple of fresh, couple of three freshman backs that they played a good bit last year. It, what's your buy-in, I guess, with Miles Brennan? Because there seems to be sort of this quiet confidence about Miles Brennan, almost like Mac Jones at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, you can tell that uh, the LSU coaches and and fans are are high on Miles Brennan. But, um, yeah, I I just don't think a a first-year quarterback um, 
I, I just don't think it's 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 plausible to, to think that he's going to go out and be able to replicate what Joe Burrow did. And yeah. mind you, Alabama played Joe Burrow in Death Valley two years ago, and he didn't score a point. And they had a lot of these playmakers on that offense. So, uh, yeah, Jamar Chase is a problem. Uh, but they're just, you know, it's they have to replace so much from last year's team. They returned Bad loss at tight yeah, end. Ten yeah. starters from the total three on offense. Their offensive line too. One offensive line starter coming back. That that was that was the Joe Moore award winning group, right? As the best offensive line in college football. And it was. I mean, and you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire helps with that, but he's not coming back either. And I just no. think it, with it being in Baton Rouge and the the luck and success that Alabama's had down there, mixed in with the the exodus that's leaving there, because it's not only Joe Burrow, those receivers, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, uh, Thad Moss, the guys on defense. Uh, you lose Joe Brady, you lose Dave Aranda. Uh, they just have to. Yeah. It, it almost feels like a rebuilding year. I know they're going to go out and win eight, nine, ten games. But I just don't see it being a year where they can hang their hat on winning back-to-back games against Alabama, having to replace so much. That's just where – I mean, it, we're sitting here, you know, in April, football season might not even happen. But it just at this point, with how much they have to replace and now not having that spring football to work, work with those young guys working in the new roles, I mean, it, it doesn't help LSU's case. Yeah, they lose the entire linebacker level. Yeah, they lose Caleb on Chason, their top edge rusher. Um, so there is a, a total overhaul go- coming on the heels of that national championship season. And, you know, yes, Derek Stingley Jr. comes back at corner. Most folks expect him to be the very best cover corner in all of college football. But Christian Fulton was a really good player mm-hmm. at the other corner. Grant Delpit, we know, uh, a highly decorated player at safety. So even with all that being said, I'm taking the road trip to Baton Rouge as being the toughest, um, you know, and I guess too, we'll find out hopefully if, if the season comes off even close to what we're, we're, uh, supposed to get, uh, there'll be a little road trip to Baton Rouge by Texas early in the season. That'll probably tell us a good bit more about LSU, uh, with miles Brennan at the, the quarterback position. Who do you give the edge to between those three? If we're talking Alabama, Georgia, and LSU at the quarterback position right now, looking at those three teams with all three undergoing transition at that spot, who would you give the edge to at the quarterback position between those three? I would give it to Alabama because we saw what Mac Jones can do when he was given an opportunity. And granted, you know, Jerry Judy won't be here. Uh, Henry Ruggs the third won't be here, but everybody else is back. Devontae Smith, Javon Waddle. You have Najee Harris back at running back. You'll have a healthy Miller Forrestall and some help coming at tight end. You have four of the five offensive line starters coming back. And then I think what gives them the edge for me is Alabama also has better overall options. I mean, Bryce Young is coming in as the nation's number one player and someone that a lot of people think will challenge Mike Jones for that starting job, even though Mac is coming in as not the incumbent starter, but he started four games uh, to end the season and won a bowl game. So, uh, for me, when you look at those three teams, I think they're clearly the most talented in the league, uh, but they do have question marks to quarterback. But Alabama's situation just seems to be much better, even though Georgia is bringing in a guy that's you know started games in the past. I think that LSU is probably ranked third for me just because Miles Brennan uh, hasn't played much meaningful football because he's had a, a potential number one pick in front of him in the last two years. You know what else Alabama brings back that Georgia and LSU don't? You sort of touched on this with LSU. 
the quarterback whisperer and offensive coordinator. That's true. That's uh, that's something to consider there, too. And I'm with you. I think the quarterback room in general at Alabama uh, gives the Crimson Tide the edge over those other two at the position. Well, Charlie, appreciate the input, as always, here on Daybreak. Always a lot of fun here with you. Appreciate your great work. And, by the way, you're going to get into sort of ranking some opponents for us on BamaOnline.com today, aren't you? Yeah, it'll come out later this afternoon. I'm going to post my, my morning poll that I've been doing on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but then I'll rank it rank the, the upcoming schedule from easiest to, to hardest for Alabama. I've been doing way too early looks at teams, and now you know we've given away what my number one team will be, but uh, <laughs> the rest of them, I guess you guys can tune in to, to see those. <laughs> I will have uh, opposing offensive tackles of note on Alabama's 2020 schedule coming up a little bit later today and there'll be a couple of LSU offensive tackles on there a lot of turnover at the offensive tackle position though in the southeastern conference for 2020 Georgia losing its starting pair uh LSU losing its starting left tackle Alabama obviously losing Jedrick Wills to the NFL draft so uh a lot to consider and Charlie and myself will have you covered at BamaOnline.com of course we'll have the start to the late signing period covered for you throughout the day as well. So keep it locked to BamaOnline.com. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, hoping you have a great rest of your Wednesday.